Hi, I'm your host Pratik Panda and you're listening to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Here we talk to the best and brightest in influencer marketing to help answer all your questions from finding the right influencers to making sure you have the best influencer marketing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome to this episode of Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast. Joining us today is Ashley Klein a certified content marketing, email marketing, search marketing, and customer acquisition specialist with 15 years of experience in the digital marketing space. Ashley is the co-founder and vice president of Ice Cream Social, a remarkable social referral tool installed on your website. This ingenious platform turns customers into influencers for brands by incentivizing them to share their purchases directly with friends and family through email and social media. Before we get into our conversation today, don't forget to hit subscribe on your preferred podcast platform if you haven't already done so, so that you don't miss out on the latest episodes. Thanks for joining us, Ashley. It's great to have you here. Yes, likewise. Thanks, Pratik, for having me. Let's get started. And one of the first things I ask almost all of my guests is to give me one controversial hot take about influencer marketing, something that maybe you believe in, but maybe not everybody is going to agree to. Okay, let's see. Hot take on influencer marketing. All right, I think I've got something pretty controversial. I would say (laughs) you do not need to be on social media to be an influencer. Okay, that is controversial. Yeah. (laughs) All right, let's dive deeper into that. Yeah, sure. So essentially, and I'm sure we'll get into it later more, but the basis of Ice Cream Social is anyone is an influencer. Even if they don't have a large social following, they do most likely have close friends, close families that they talk to on a daily basis. They have people in their life that they have influence over. So anyone essentially can be an influencer. Anyone is using products and services day to day. And often, you know, we forget about the good old word of mouth marketing. Yeah, I think, you know, the concept, and I've said this a lot of times before, that the concept of influence has always existed, right? Yeah. You have a friend or a neighbor or, you know, that uncle in the family or whatever, right? Who is an expert on certain kinds of things, be it cars, electronics, or something like that, right? We've always had some sort of influence within this this close-knit community. The concept of influencer marketing might seem relatively newer, but the concept of influence has always existed. Now, if we go back to your hot take, which is, okay, you don't have to be on social media to be an influencer. Is it still possible to monetize that kind of influence if you're not on social? Yes. And uh, the way that I see this happen a lot today, a few different methods. One, email. It is social, but it's not social media. You don't have a following, but you do have friends and contacts that you can email. SMS. Likewise, this can all be facilitated essentially through a tracking link, which we see a lot of influencers use in social media, linking to products that they love or giving out promo codes. All of that can be facilitated via email and SMS. Another thing that I've seen a lot of distinguish happening online in terms of content creators and influencers. And I think that there is a big difference there because an influencer is someone who's very much so the way that 
we define influencers can be someone who's very much in the public eye, putting their self out there, creating content in social media. But there's another form of content creation that happens a lot, and that is blogging, which some people could say is a lost art, but it still works very heavily. I have a lot of contacts that make a great living through blogging, have not really any kind of social presence where they're putting themselves out there, but have learned to leverage other aspects of marketing to get their influence out there with search engine optimization and that sort of thing. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's get to it a little bit more. And before we get there, tell us a little bit more about Ice Cream Social. I'm very curious about the name also, and I'm sure you get that question so many times. But let's get to know what Ice Cream Social is and tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. So Ice Cream Social is essentially just a referral widget that you can bolt on to any website or checkout flow. And the concept of it is to take all of your customers and turn them into influencers for your brand by incentivizing word of mouth marketing. And so just like I mentioned, this widget allows you to share by copying a tracking link or clicking on email, opening up your email app, SMS, WhatsApp, and then of course, you know, your social media, you can share there as well. And where the name came from was just that word of mouth marketing getting back to the old days where word of mouth marketing happened at Avon or Tupperware parties or your neighborhood ice cream social block parties, that sort of thing. Got it. Very interesting. And you touched about topic, which basically is user-generated content, right? Or UGC, as we call it, which is basically trying to identify your best customers and trying to reach out to them and figuring out how they can be influencers for you. They may not be like influencers in the definition that the market understands today, where you have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers, but definitely still very influential within their smaller communities, right? What have you seen in this whole space of user-generated content? And do you think more and more brands would want to make the best use of this? Yes, I think UGC is a very important aspect to any marketing strategy. And I've worked a lot of agency life in the past. So I've worked with very large brands where we heavily invest in UGC campaigns, you know, seeking out influencers, asking them to create content for us, and then determining a strategy to promote that content and make sure that that content has legs and carries on and it's not a blip in the map on the day that they post and can carry that through. So that is one aspect. And I do think it's very important because it does add that social proof. And we've seen, I'm sure today, any of you can think of a product that you've recently bought where you probably saw it on a TikTok or on Instagram because someone posted that they were using this. And then to the smaller scale of something like Ice Cream Social facilitating that, which I personally can feel more comfortable with. Like I might love a product and I don't want to go post it on social media for the whole world to know what product I'm using, but I'm happy to send it to my close friends or even better, a couple friends that I know would also like this product. And so it's more of an intimate form of UGC that isn't always as trackable, but it works. One thing that I've seen companies doing a lot of lately to grow their UGC 
outside of asking and creating all these influencer contracts is if you have a product that someone can leave a review for, maybe it's some sort of health supplement or makeup item or clothing article, whatever. What I'm seeing a lot of are these companies asking the consumers to write a review. And if they write a review, they'll get 10% off their next purchase. But if they write a review and submit a picture, they'll get 15% off. But if they write a review and submit a video, they'll get 20% off. And essentially by doing that, you're allowing the brands to share that content. And I see this being even larger trend coming in the next two years for two specific reasons that I'm sure you've all seen but may have not noticed what's actually happening behind the scenes. One being on Amazon. A lot of the reviews that you're seeing and people posting videos and pictures, Amazon's encouraging that. And what's happening is, is if you see a product on Amazon, you see a review and you watch that consumer's video, a lot of times that consumer was essentially asked to do that and that consumer will get affiliate commission from Amazon if you watch their video and then purchase the product. Got it. Secondly, another really big trend coming is TikTok shop, where now you can purchase directly through just watching a TikTok. And it seems so seamless that you don't even realize it. But that's a way that they're leveraging UGC on their platform to really monetize. Got it. And so there is an interesting thing here, right? And I picked up a couple of notes and we'll get into both. First is you mentioned about these platforms that are working with certain customers to create this user-generated content and they're incentivizing them to create this content. Now, when you compare that with regular influencers who post on their social channels, a lot of them also try to call out that it is a sponsored post or, you know, just to maintain that authenticity with their followers as well. In this case, since the platform is really trying to push for more sales of this particular product, do you see reviewers put out genuine reviews or is it primarily because, okay, they are incentivized to do so? Yeah, that's tough. I will say I don't see like Amazon or TikTok saying, hey, if you purchase, they may have disclosures somewhere, but it's not something that I've personally seen. Now, if you are an influencer, it is really important to make sure you disclose that as, you know, working on the agency side and with big brands and the FTC can come down on you at any time if you don't. So I do strongly encourage that. For the most part, it does depend on the brand, I would say, and the influencer relationship. From working on the brand side, it is important to a lot of the brands I've worked with. We spend a lot of time identifying the right influencer. So we know they're going to make a great partner. We know they're going to like the product. And depending on the product, we make sure they have ample time to try it. We, of course, want an honest review. Yes, we want it to be positive in our light, but it does help it feel more genuine if they give their honest review. There might be pros and cons that they list out. I think for the most part, a lot of the content is genuine, but you know, it just depends. Some are hot trends that come and go. Some are products. You'll see a lot of influencers try out different health products and say, oh, I feel great, but you know, they've been taking it for three days and 
you know, you never know. So it's always best to do your own research and, you know, not, yes, you can be influenced by, you know, what other people are doing, but also be your own person and do your research and don't let yourself be overly influenced. Yeah. It's, you know, that's always been true. And I, I guess in today's date, it's even more important to be that rational consumer that you definitely yeah. find interesting products. You trust people that you follow and you take their opinion, but you do your share of research before making a decision to purchase something. For sure. It depends on that risk of war. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, another thing that you talked about was influencer contracts, right? And I want to talk a little bit about that. And you've had a lot of experience on the agency side as well, trying to manage a lot of these influencer contracts, right? Can you share some examples or um, some best practices of how to keep this simple and easy? Yes. Well, simple and easy. Not sure. I can definitely give some of the things that you want in your contract or things to think about when negotiating. To make it more simple and easy, if you are a brand seeking out influencers, do your homework. Make sure you've been following these influencers for a while. You've engaged in their content. You understand how they engage back. You understand all their content, all the things they stand for as a person and what they're putting out there because you do want to make sure that they do align with your brand because for a lot of reasons, controversy can strike and sometimes your name's attached to their brand and you just want to make sure that they're going to be a good fit. So do your homework, build a relationship with them, have those conversations. It may start out very organically, you know, starting out conversations in the comments of their posts and taking it to DMs and then phone calls. But do take time to build that relationship. When you're thinking about influencer marketing, don't approach it as an overnight tactic. Oh, we're going to go hire 50 influencers to post a piece of content. Like, do take your time and create a well thought out influencer strategy. Another thing that I would say is really important to include in your contract that I see a lot of brands not even think of or not even know what it is, is what we call whitelisting. What whitelisting is, is when you ask an influencer to post a piece of content for you, and when they post it, they have an option to market as a brand partnership and allow you advertising access. You want to make sure that they do that. And by doing that, what will happen is their post will pull up on the back end of your ads manager on, let's say, Facebook and Instagram. And you will be able to put money behind their post to get it out there. And that can make the content look more authentic because it's actually coming from the influencer's profile rather than you screenshotting the image, reposting it to your profile and trying to put paid dollars behind it that way. You still might want to do that, but you'll probably see better returns and results if you put the spend through the influencer's account. So that's an important thing to keep into consideration when doing these contracts, as well as making sure you keep tabs on rights of the usage of content. Some influencers may put in there that you can only use this for two weeks or six months or one year. So whatever that timeline is, you want to pay attention to and you don't want to mess that up. (laughs) Got it. And I think that's great advice. And is there anything that you have come across that you would consider like a deal killer? If 
terms like this appear on the contract, either on the brand side or on the influencer side, it's too risky to move forward. Yeah, I would say if you can make the distinction between a celebrity and an influencer, though I've worked with celebrities and I've actually had better results with influencers before, but I would say that whitelisting is important and having enough time usage of that content. Sometimes they won't put a timeline on it. So great, you can use it for life. But making sure they allow you to put spend behind it and reuse their content is number one. Because then posting one day to an Instagram story is not going to change your business. You might get a little bump in sales that day. But if you can't figure out how to extend the shelf life of that one post that they create, you're not going to see the success that you're hoping for. So I would say that's for sure really important thing to look for. Definitely a deal breaker. And you want to know your audience and where your audience is. If you are a very direct-to-consumer brand and you've got a huge following on Instagram, but the influencer is only going to post to their Facebook or Twitter account, you probably want to walk away. It's not going to have the results that you're looking for. So you want to make sure that their audience is aligned with your audience and, and where they're hanging out. All right. Makes sense. Can you share some insights on maybe negotiation techniques so that if, for example, let's talk about whitelisting, right? Because it seems like that is one of the most important things to have as a brand, right? And how do you negotiate this with an influencer if A, they are not entirely willing to do that or are not aware of that. B is they might ask for a higher price point if they want to allow that. Have you seen that happen? And how do you go about negotiating something like this? Sure. So most influencers understand what this is and they allow it. You might have to ask for it. So if it's not in your contract, ask for it. If they say no, just ask them why because maybe they don't understand it and it's just a learning curve for them because they might think that then you get access to their account and you can see their analytics or you could run ads of whatever you please to put out there through their account, which is not the case. So if they do say no, ask why, because it could be a learning curve for sure. And if they say no, for me, that would be a deal breaker because I know that you have to be able to really extend the life of the content and not being able to do that through advertising would be problematic. Makes sense. Let's talk a little bit more about influencers themselves, right? And in today's day, there are numerous ways in which people categorize influencers, typically on the basis of how many followers they have, nano-influencers, micro-influencers, macro-influencers, and so on. Then there is a, a lot of research that shows almost half of them are actually micro-influencers or nano-influencers. How do you determine as a brand what kind of influencer you should work with? That is the immediate gravitation to go towards somebody that has a large following. But is that really the best approach? Sure. So at Ice Cream Social, obviously, we're a big fan of that micro, almost non-influencer person. So I do see that there's value in that. And if you're a brand, the first thing that I would take into consideration is what's your budget. If you have a nice budget for influencer and user-generated content marketing, 
I think it's important to not put all your eggs in one basket and go after that big influencer. I would maybe find your top three to approach with the intent of securing one and saving significant budget for those micro influencers. And I mean, you can determine what you feel as a micro influencer. Oftentimes it could be, you know, less than 10,000 followers. It really does depend on the engagement rate. So a lot of times we'll analyze how large is their following and how many people are engaging with all their content. And if you can check out the content even further to make sure that the people who are engaging with it are within your target market, that's also important. So kind of looking at those two factors are helpful. Got it. Makes sense. And what kind of influencer marketing trends are you observing currently? What are you monitoring? Anything new that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I would say definitely seeing more and more of the micro influencers work out really well for people. So don't think that if you don't have a big budget and can't secure, you know, an influencer with several hundred thousand or a million plus followers that you can't play that game because you can, you can, you know, start very small. And I would first focus, if you're pretty new to influencer marketing, focus on your existing database, send out an email to them and ask if any of them are interested in starting out with user-generated content and posting on your behalf and seeing how that goes and learning to leverage their content that they post that's a great place to get started and get some really good key learnings before you start investing heavily in the influencer marketing. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And more often than not, people miss out on that low-hanging fruit. Yeah. You already have users, you have customers. Just asking a few of your customers or sending an email blast and asking if somebody is interested would be a great yeah, way to get started. For sure. Would you incentivize your customers like any other influencer? Yes, maybe the terms of how they're <laughs> incentivized may be different, but if you want any traction, yeah, you should definitely incentivize them. And incentivizing them helps build that advocacy for your brand. You know, I if a brand asks me if I'm interested in promoting them, there's no reason for me to do so unless they're going to incentivize me. It's hard enough with people just to write a review with no incentive. So to post content for you, yeah, you definitely want to. How important is the quality of that content? When I was starting out this podcast, I was asking around also about tools and software and what to use, how to get started. And the best advice that I got was just to go ahead and get started. It doesn't matter how good of a camera you have or a microphone that you have as long as you are putting out good quality content, right? So when you are thinking of UGC also, particularly if you are going to whitelist it as a brand so you can use it forward, I, I know one of the things we talked about was to reach out to your existing users and customers and see if some of them would be ready to create this kind of content. Do you define some kind of quality guidelines as far as the quality of the content is concerned? Yeah, great question. I have two answers for that, and it depends on the content. So if you are focused on UGC, which is user-generated, those people already fall into your customers, have little to no following, could maybe fall into that micro-influencer, who would not focus on any kind of quality. Getting content and buzz out there on the internet 
is great. And if you start putting parameters around the kind of content, you're just not going to get any. So if you're, you know, starting small and just focusing on that user generated content, no parameters. If you're negotiating contracts with influencers, there's a contract in place. You're probably paying money that is important to you of enough value that you're going to put a contract in place. So at that point, I wouldn't necessarily say putting parameters on the quality. You're going to be familiar with that influencer already and the kind of content they're putting out there. So you probably wouldn't have even engaged with them if you thought their content was a low quality. But the one thing that I would stress, which is usually always in influencer contracts, but you want to make sure I've learned to stress this verbally over and over, is that you would really like to see their content before they post it. Reason being, and I can speak to both sides because, you know, I've worked on the influencer side, I've worked on the brand side, but from a brand perspective, they want to see it not because they're trying to creatively control the influencer's content. They want you to do your thing. They know that you know what you're doing and you know how to engage with your audience. But there are other factors in place that are really important for them to look at. For example, I worked with a lot of like medical device companies in the beauty realm, or this is probably true for kind of like health supplements or anything like that. You have to be careful about what influencers are saying about you if there's a contract in place, because if they say something that's considered off-label or not FDA approved, they can get fined for that and get in really big trouble. So there are other important reasons why brands want to view your content first. If you're making, for example, if you start taking a health supplement and you're making like claims of how it changed your life, those need to be reviewed because legally those could not be allowed. Even if it really did change your life, if it's not FDA approved or whatever to do that, that can be really problematic for a brand and cause some really big issues. Secondly, back in the day when influencer marketing was just coming about, I worked with a lot of younger influencers who were like 13 to 16 years old. And it was very wild, wild west. There weren't influencer marketing was very new. Brands hiring them was very new. So we learned this the hard way in hiring a teenage girl, very young. And we were a medical device company and she posted her posts without sending it for approval, even though it was in the contract. And it was a picture of her in her bed in her underwear and just obviously not appropriate for the brand at all, nor did it align in any way or promote the brand in any way that it should. So just like really stressing, like it needs to be approved first and it's not to take away your creative control in any way. So I would say if you are an influencer, please just understand that. And if you are a brand, please make sure you continue to ask them to see the content before they post it. And what do you do in that kind of situation? Though going back to the example that you shared, I mean, of course, the obvious thing is you reach out to the influencer again and ask them to take it down. Yeah. A lot of times can may not be a straightforward thing either, right? So what do you do as a brand? Yeah. In that case, we were fortunate in reaching out immediately as soon as we see it and asking them to take it down. And she did. I have heard of cases where they won't take it down. So that's where you do want to think about your contract. Because if 
they don't take it down or it does not fall within your brand guidelines in certain ways, that can be a breach of contract. So then they could not get paid. And then as far as could it damage your brand reputation, oftentimes probably not, but you do need to take that into consideration, understand if there's any kind of quote unquote crisis PR that needs to happen to retract any statements that they may have said on your behalf. I'm seeing a lot of influencers also asking for payments up front these days, especially the ones who have a fairly larger following, let's say upwards of 50, 60,000 followers. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's good practice or not? Especially if you identify that the audience is the right audience that you want to work with, but there is this roadblock that, you know, unless you pay them up front, they're not going to start working on it. Yeah, I'm always pretty hesitant in that, not just an influencer contract, but a lot of contracts. I would, you know, meet in the middle, 50 up front, 50 upon completion. If somebody's asking for 100% up front and maybe they don't have a good track record or that brings up a good case to maybe talk to other brands that they've worked with, kind of like as if you're hiring someone and, you know, looking for who their referrals are and speaking to them, like vetting them, I would be pretty hesitant if someone's demanding 100% upfront. All right, cool. I think we've touched upon a lot of interesting topics and a lot of helpful information for our listeners. Let's do one fun question as we are uh, coming close to the end of the episode. If you were to take out an influencer to lunch, who would that person be and why? Probably Elon Musk. Can he be an influencer? He's just so of course. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, that's a great example. I like Elon Musk for a variety of reasons and not yeah. for a variety of reasons. Exactly. I think that's the case with more, most people. Yeah. But I mean, he is definitely an influencer at so many levels, influencing this whole trend for adoption of electric vehicles, solar power, and so many other things, right? That uh, he's actually made it cool right and that's why people want to do it they spend more money about it and so on but why would you want to meet elon musk i'm very intrigued just like you you know there's things i agree with things that maybe not and yeah i just want to understand what's the future and the idea of proximity pick up whatever good things i can take with me carry it on (laughs) Great. Since we are talking about Elon, we can't not talk about Twitter. And I know this is not so much about influencer marketing, but still is because there is a lot of talk about Twitter degrading as a platform. And now it's called x.com. And what do you think? Are you seeing similar trends when you're talking to influencers? Are they starting to spend more time away from Twitter. Somebody posted a few days ago that within the next year or so, Twitter engagement would be so low that people would start exploring other platforms. What have you heard? Yeah, I would say my take on it is he's a billionaire. I'm not. He's a visionary. I have to think that he's got something that we just can't understand or see coming and I'll let it play out. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that sounds good. Thanks a lot, Ashley. We had a lot of fun having you on the show. Is there anything else you would want to share with the audience as we close this episode? I will say I did give a lot of advice for those working on the brand side of influencer marketing. 
So I do want to give a tip to the influencers who may be listening. You're not charging enough. (laughs) Don't be scared. Ask for more money. It's going to be so scary, but just put it out there. And then as soon as it happens, you know, you've changed the trajectory. I've always so shocked sometimes when influencers come back and the cost is so low. And I don't think they understand how much brands value getting in front of your audience. So charge more. We once worked with a 15-year-old girl to make one YouTube video and we paid her $100,000. Oh my God, that is insane. So charge more money for your post. (laughs) I'm sure everybody's going to be excited about this. All the marketers listening to this show or this episode will be worried about their budgets. But it is true, right? I mean, brands spend insane amount of money on paid advertising. And we are starting to see paid advertising become less effective and more expensive. And therefore, influencer marketing is actually uh, turning out to be a viable channel. And I'm seeing a lot of my marketer friends also start slowly diverting some of their performance marketing budgets into things like influencer marketing. And I think one of the big takeaways from this episode, at least for me, is to emphasize on the whitelisting part, because that's where you can still bring it very close to your performance marketing thing. But now you have a piece of content that is from an influencer and you are putting dollars behind it to get it more visibility. So all the more when you are using UGC, even if the influencer that you're working with doesn't have a large following, doesn't matter as long as they can create a genuine piece of content for you because you have the dollars to go ahead and then spread it out to the world, right? So yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun talking to you and uh, hopefully we will have you again on another episode. Yes, thank you for taking. Thank you, Ashley. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get, P-H-Y-L-L-O.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.